that I'm very glad that you're here. I love doing church with, with all of you, and I, I love being your pastor. And I say that at the outset because this passage is just a wallop of a rebuke. <laughs> and so the tone is going to be angry, and, and, and that's for a reason. It's really important. This passage is important, but I don't want you to come in here and not hear about the awesome grace that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I love you. But Paul's going to spank some of us today, and so that's just how it is. That's how it is when you go scripture by scripture in the Bible. So if you, if you want to turn there, it's uh, Galatians chapter 1. Uh, but just to kind of set up our passage for the morning, we talked last week a lot about the context and what's going on. Um, so this is, just, this is just a quick review just to sh- show you where we are. So this is the whole book of Galatians. It's only six chapters long. Paul spends the first two chapters, the first third of the book, just trying to prove that he is an apostle and to authenticate the gospel that he is preaching. Gospel means good news. Paul had a message. And so at the beginning of Galatians, he's, he's just trying to prove that he, he is uh, capable, that he is worthy, that he's the one that's supposed to deliver that message and that he's believable. And so he kind of opens uh, in, in, in verse six with his frustration that the Galatians have strayed away from the gospel. This is where we're at in the world. This is modern day Turkey. This was a part of Paul's first mission journey and he's writing to when he writes to the churches in Galatia it's primarily these four cities that he hit on his first church planning mission so he planted churches in these four cities um, and as we talked about last week it did not go well Uh, there was many successes in these cities but throughout his journey especially that first journey there were um, uh, strict adherence to the Jewish faith that were following him from town to town to the point where in Lystra he gets stoned. He was not a popular guy. And it's because of the gospel. So uh, 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 the letter is written to these four churches. And just something to keep in mind before we pray and go to the passage. When Paul is writing to this church, he's writing to a group of people who are very, very different. And they're sitting next to each other listening to the letter. Some of them are Gentiles. All their lives, in in their family from, from when they were young, they've worshiped just many gods, and they've brought sacrifices to these different temples of of whatever gods their family subscribed to. But also sitting in the pews, in the chairs, on the floor when, when, when this letter is being read are people who've been Jewish all their lives. And so Paul is a Jew. And when he's, when he's preaching the good news, he's, he's with, they're, they're with them to some degree. But there's some things he says that are very offensive to them. So as we, we read our passage, I want you to kind of think of the church like that, the church that's hearing it. These two different groups of people and why Paul is so angry um, that they've missed the whole point of the gospel. So we're going to look at it in three ways. Number one, we're going to answer the question, what makes you a Christian? Paul, Paul uh, answers that in the book of Galatians. What makes you a Christian? Number two, we're going to look at what makes a Christian angry. And number three, what makes a Christian unpopular? So Christians today are angry and unpopular. Not always, hopefully, but in this passage today they are. Let's pray. Uh, ask God to bless our times and we'll be in Galatians 1. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, God, we're, we're, we are grateful for um, a church body and a group where we can come together and love one another. We're also grateful for a true word that if we need it, God, it will rebuke us and change us and sharpen us. So, Lord, we know initially this was just written to some, a group of people long ago, but we also know this is your word to us today. So help us to hear it like that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, what makes you a Christian? There's a lot of ways we can tackle this, but, but I thought this would be maybe the most instructive for us. That question, what is a Christian? What do Christians believe and do? is a central one to your identity and has been for the history of the church. And you can kind of mark church history by the battles that we've fought, one side versus the other, over what is it, exactly does it mean to be a Christian. So let, let me illustrate this for you. So today, um, in terms of our identity in Christ, I would say a battle, a theological battle happening right now is the answer to the question, are the Bible social views right? Are they correct? Can we go to the Bible when it talks about being made male and female, when it talks about marriage, that sort of thing. And as we go through these, you're going to kind of discover what kind of church you're, you're at this, this morning. We at New City would believe, yes, the Bible is reliable for moral uh, guidance in today's landscape, even in today's landscape. But you can, you, can, you can go back throughout history and the diff, there were different issues that different people were tackling when it comes to who are we in Christ. So if you, if you love history, this is going to be painfully too fast for you. If you don't like history, it'll be too slow. But, uh, but, but, it, but, but it's, it's just an overview. If you go back to the 1600s, this is, this is the Reformation. The, the big battle, there were, there were several at this time, but maybe, maybe how you could summarize it would be, does the church's authority rival the Bible's authority. In other words, if the Bible says something and the church contradicts it, which one is right? So again, what kind of church are you sitting in today? We are a Protestant church. You may, you may have known that already, but we would say that the Bible is the absolute authority, and that's the, that's the authority that the churches use to, uh, to minister in the world. Going back even further, though, if you went back to the, to the 500s, this is the days of, of Augustine, is man totally lost? That was the question they had. And they needed to wrestle with that. And there were councils to wrestle with this. And, and, and it was Augustine, Augustine versus uh, Pelagianism. Pelagius was saying, actually, people aren't all that lost. They just need a little bit of willpower. They need a, li a little bit of, of can-do spirit, and we can be made righteous. And Augustine said, we are totally lost, and we need, we need uh, nothing short of the grace of God to save us. You, we, New City would fall in the uh, Augustinian camp there. Then you're getting closer and closer back to the day of Jesus. In the 300s and 400s, what is the nature of God? Was Jesus truly fully God and fully man? We would say yes, but they didn't always. They had this fight back in the early day. They had to figure this out and come to a consensus. If you've ever known or recited the Nicene Creed, that's, that's coming from this era. God being three in one, the Trinity, we didn't, in the, in the first part of the church, that was a fight. There were, there, were, there were people who had to figure that out. So we are a Trinitarian church. There, most, most churches are nowadays. And we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But where we're, where we're at today, 
in the church in Galatia, that church that split that we were just talking about, this was the fundamental question. After Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected and then it was basically left for the apostles to figure this church thing out, here was the very first theological battle in all of church history and it's this. Now that Jesus has come, are we still Jews or are we something new? Are we still bound by the law of God or are we something new? And that's what, what, what brings us to our first point when, when we ask, what, is, what makes a Christian? What makes a Christian is the gospel. And the answer that the apostles come up with in Galatians and, and all throughout your New Testament is, we are something new. Jesus has done something new. Now, God still cares about his people and still has plans for his people, the Jews. But the gospel, as we've been talking about it, is this. On the left is the the world, the sinful world that we have made for ourselves. On the right is the perfect, fruitful world that God wants for us. And the gospel says that the only way you can get from one to the other is going through the cross, believing in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, there's a have to and a get to here right, of the gospel, right? The have to is there is no other way that you can't circumvent the cross and find your way to the good life, find your way to heaven. It is only through the cross. You have to go through the cross. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's a get to. You and I are stuck there all our lives, just this sinful world with our own selfish desires. The gospel is this. You don't have to be. God is going to show you grace if you follow him, and he will make you new. He will turn you into a new thing, and he will grow you steadily throughout your life, and someday you will be with him in heaven. Another way you could say this is the gospel, according to Galatians, is sinners from every nation can be forgiven through faith in Christ so that they might bear fruit in good works. Now, here's my question, and I'm going to ask for some interaction. I know that makes everybody uncomfortable, but I don't care. Where? On which side of the cross, you don't even have to answer, just point, just point for me. On which side of the cross do works come in, actions? Let me see some fingers. Alice Crabb is bold, yes. Ben, you're wrong. <laughs> Get your, <laughs> my son is incorrect. Yeah. Well, maybe he's not wrong. Bad works take place over here, is that what you were meaning? Yes, yes, of course, of course. He's, he's a brilliant young scholar. Bad works take place Bad works take place over here. Our sin, our, our, our collective body of all the things that we do wrong, that does take place over here. But the only, the only good works, the things that we want to do, the things that we ought to do, obeying God, being a Christian, whatever that life entails, it all takes place over here. Do you know what that means? That means that if you're a Christian, you did nothing to earn it. It's not a meritocracy. You're not here in church as a child of God because you did a thing. It's because Jesus did a thing. He died on the cross so that if you believe in him, he will change you, change your heart, and make you uh, into the kind of person that would do good things. So that's really important to establish. The works happen, the good works happen after the cross. So this is the gospel. What makes you a Christian? It's your faith. It's your faith in Jesus. It's not because you rolled in here very righteous with with a long list of good deeds. It's that Jesus died for you. And by putting your faith in him, he is now at work in your life to bring about good fruit. So what might make a Christian angry? And this is where I want to get into the specific issue that that Paul is so angry about in Galatians chapter 1. 
So in general, the question is, what are we now? Are we still Jews or are we something new? Is there this new category called Christian? And so you can imagine that this, is, this would be difficult if you've grown up Jewish all your life, um, figuring, figuring out what exactly do I still do and what is new about, about me. So that's what's happening in Galatia. But the specific issue, um, there are several, but maybe it boils down to the main one here is everyone's favorite issue, adult circumcision. That's the big controversial issue in, in Galatia. In other words, what I just share with you is the, is the gospel according to the New Testament, that you are not saved by your works, you're saved by grace, that God's been gracious to you by sending Jesus to die on the cross. If you were to sit in a church service in Galatia, back in the days uh, when, the, when, the first, when the church just began, they would say the same thing. They would say, you need to believe in Jesus and also you need to be circumcised if you're not circumcised. And this was, it's funny to us, and I put it in bold face because it makes everybody uncomfortable. But if you, though, I don't want to get any emails like, now I have to explain to my kids what that is. You should be reading them the story of Abraham. It's all throughout the Bible, right? So, so don't blame me. You need to educate your children. Um, so, but this is, imagine, imagine, like, our issue today, it's, it's very relevant to us, the cultural thing, the gender thing. That's, that's what's going on in the air. Back then, you got to put yourself back in the, in the day here, this was the question. So uh, we try to be friendly to the community. Imagine that this is, this is how you're trying to reach the community. Come on in. You should believe in Jesus. And if you're not, fellas, you need to be circumcised. So this is the fight. And we know this because later, later on in, in Galatians, he, he specifically talks about it. Uh, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. So that, that group, that split group, some people Jews, some people Gentiles, here's the problem in the church. Many of the Jewish people, we call them Judaizers, those, those are people who try to make non-Jews into Jews by adopting their cultures and all that sort of thing. Many of the Judaizers were adding this to the gospel. They were saying, thank, God, thank goodness you've come to church. We're glad you're believing in Jesus. Now you need to be a Jew. You need to be a Christian Jew. You need to obey all the things that we've always done. Well, we're Jews. We've always done the circumcision uh, on the eighth day. Unfortunately for you adults, it's going to have to be, you know, you, you're going to talk to a 30-year-old and tell them they got to do it. It's a lot easier when you do it and when you're a baby and you forget it, right? And so the Gentiles in this church are really rocked by this, which is, which is do, I, do I need to do this and the other things in the law? So let me tell you a little bit about who these people might be. They're Jews, obviously. They're very knowledgeable. So in the church, they'd be the wise ones. Probably the Gentiles are going to defer to these, these, these Jews because they've grown up with the Bible all their lives. They claim Christ, but they have, they, have, they have Jewish roots. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand. If you were a Jew back in the day, it would not be impossible for you to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. Everybody had an idea of what that might be. So the, the, the Judaizers in this church believe that Jesus was the Messiah. What they could not believe is that God had come to save Gentiles and that the Gentiles could be saved by grace alone. That the Gentiles didn't have to do anything to get favor with God. And in fact, neither did they. Paul would later go on to talk about his own circumcision and his growing up in the Jewish culture. And we read that and it's, it seems kind of funny. But what he's saying there is, I was a Jew. I was abiding by all the laws. And he calls that stuff worthless 
compared to following Jesus Christ. Hence the really angry tone at the outset of the letter. So I, I made this. This is my own view of the, how the epistles are. Mostly when Paul was writing to churches, he had a very happy, positive disposition. He's always very grateful for them. Galatians is, is uh, by my estimation, the angriest letter we have. Let me illustrate this for you just by comparing uh, to another church. So let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians isn't one of his like uh, pets. It's not one of his favorites. It's kind of in the middle. Listen to what Paul has in his, the opening of his letter, which is called the Thanksgiving. Usually there's a Thanksgiving. It's a part of his letter. To the Ephesians, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. It goes on and on. It's one of the longest sentences in the Bible is the thanksgiving to the Ephesians where he says, I, I have not stopped praying for you and I'm praying that God would, would grow you in spirit and knowledge. He just goes on and on. Here is the thanksgiving in Galatians. There is none. Everybody done reading it? There is none. It's the only letter he does this. It's the only letter he doesn't say that he's thankful for them and he prays for them at the beginning of it. This is how he starts. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, and it's not him, Paul, it's him, God, him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This I am astonished should, should, should wake up anybody sitting in, in, in the church at the, in that day. It's a little bit like, if you're a kid, you'll, you'll relate to this, but you were all kids at one point, right? You're doing something, it might not be right, maybe you're making a mess or doing something. Dad walks in, What's the first thing dad says? Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Does anybody have that dad? You can you guys summon the dad voice sometimes? What are you doing? <laughs> right? I, I, I've said this many times. I was reminding my boys of how they would just eat rocks all the time. And I would have to say, what are you doing? Right? As passionately as I could to get across to them, we don't eat rocks. And by God's grace, they still don't eat rocks very often anymore. It's, it's very rare where they'll eat a rock, Right? This is, this, is, this is the apostolic version of that. I am astonished. What are you doing? You have deserted the gospel. So let's look at it. In the text, astonished. He gets right to that word, right after the, kind of the, the introductory stuff. That word is used some 44 times in the New Testament. 75% of the times it's used about Jesus in the Gospels. And it's after he's done some amazing miracle or he's taught some amazing thing that, that nobody's ever thought of before. So here's a good summary verse in Matthew 15. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeking. Or seeing. Sorry, That's the word Paul reaches for. He can't believe it. He's astonished at this. And it goes on. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Every commentator I read, uh, maybe but except one or two, uh, invoked the same uh, story in the Old Testament. You could maybe guess it. When the, when the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, they've just come out of Egypt. They got to see the best couple scenes in all the Bible. The parting of the Red Sea, the 10 plagues. Can you imagine seeing those things in the flesh? How solid your faith in God would be? So Moses goes up the mountain to receive the 10 commandments. He comes back down 
And they have made a calf out of all their gold and they are worshiping it, saying it's the calf that brought us out of Israel. Does anybody remember the gap of time between when we're reverent sitting at at Mount Sinai and when we are worshiping a golden calf? 40 days. Who said that? Good, Good call, young lady. 40 days. 40 days. And so in Exodus 32, 7, Moses and the Lord are up on the mountain. And and it says this, the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it. That didn't take long. Does anybody know approximately how long time has elapsed since when Paul planted the church in Galatia and to when he wrote the letter and they receive it? I'll, I'll give you the answer. It could be as, as, as soon as a year. He just planted this church. Even our modest little church plant, we're almost four years old. This church is one year old. And they have what? Deserted him, deserted God. This is, this is a military term. If you were a turncoat, if you were a traitor, it was punishable by death. That's what he's saying. You've quickly turned on God. And then he makes a point to say they've turned to another gospel, not that there is another one. Of course, the thing that they're turning to is not good news. It's enslaving them and putting them back to the law. And then at the end, just as kind of an exclamation point, twice, he calls down curses. So forget about not having a thanksgiving. That's a little, that's a little brisk. That's a little um, uh, temperamental. He doesn't just not have a thanksgiving. He's calling down curses on them. And, he, and he, he's, this is top shelf language here. He's angry. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Damned is what he's saying. And he's even saying that applies to me, Paul. If I ever say anything that is outside of the gospel, may I be cursed. Or if an angel from God, he's thinking about who are the closest beings to God at this time? Paul, full of the spirit, the angels who worship at the feet of the Lord. He's saying, even them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's speaking it or or, or what their credentials are. It matters if it's the truth of the gospel, that word, let him be accursed, you may, you may uh, be familiar with it or have heard it before. It's the Greek word anathema. May, may they be anathema. And the definition here, I just copied this out of Blue Letter Bible, a thing without hope of being redeemed. If an animal, it's to be slain, or a person or thing doomed to destruction. So uh, PowerPoint flashback here, we did, we did uh, the sacrifices in the fall. And so you remember what would happen. You would take a lamb out of your flock and you would bring it and and, and dedicate it to God. Well, whatever that lamb, whatever lamb you selected was anathema. It was chosen to die. It was, that, that day was not going to go well for the lamb. And so Paul twice says, if anyone ever preaches a different gospel to you, if anyone ever preaches anything besides the grace of Christ saving you through his death on the cross, might they be like that lamb? Might they be cursed? Might they be doomed for destruction? It's as harsh a language as you can have. And yet, you'll notice, Martin Luther made a great uh, com- uh, comment on this, on this text. He says, look at where all his uh, anger and vitriol is toward. Mostly, it's towards the, 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 the teacher's. 
the people who are, who are false teachers who are teaching it wrong. Luther said this, if a dog is biting your kid, you'll run off and chase and scream at the dog and you'll tend to the kid. That's how Paul is treating the church in Galatia. These Judaizers are really bad news. And he's chasing them off. He's saying, might they be damned? But he's trying to restore the church to what it, what it ought to be. So what makes specifically, but I want to challenge you, is our second point. And the answer here, for Paul specifically, but I want to challenge you on, 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 on your disposition too. The answer should be any time the gospel is distorted. So what did, the, what did the Judaizers do? They took the beautiful truth that is each and every one of us can be saved through Jesus, not by our works, but through his works, and they added something to it. They said, yes, yes, Jesus and his death on the cross, and then you also need to do these other things. You need to, in order to have a good life, you have to do these other things. And so they've distorted the gospel, and it makes him furious. Tim Keller says this, revising the gospel reverses the gospel. When we do this, the reason he's so mad is because when we do this, we are saying to our Savior, who died on the cross and proclaimed at the most important moment in all of human history, proclaimed, it is finished. When we add to the gospel, we're saying, no, it's not. Your death on the cross wasn't enough. Actually, I need, to, I need to make up for some of the slack. Jesus, you've built a great foundation with the cross. But in order for me to be a righteous person, to have a good life, the life that God wants me to, I have to also do this. It's an affront to Jesus. So how do we do this, though? I know, I know how they were doing it back then, but circumcision isn't a, a thing in our church today. It's, that's not the controversy. So what does this look like today? So you might have come up from a church or go to some churches, and, and, and churches can, can veer either way, where they would, they, would say, they would say, yes, Jesus saves, and yes, it's grace, but if you're going to start coming around here, you've got to start doing a couple of things, right? You need to start dressing like us and believing us, right? These would be more conservative churches. Maybe you came up in one. A conservative church will ask you your testimony. Tell me about the time that Jesus saved you. And they'll be listening for the cross and for grace, but they'll also be listening to, do you also believe what we believe on the, on the secondary issues, on the social issues, on, on baptism, that sort of thing? I'm not, I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter. It's, it's greatly important. But in these conservative churches, by, by, they add to the gospel by saying, yes, grace, of course, grace, but we really need to get to this other thing, which we feel is almost as equally important, and we talk about most of the time. Then there's a different type of church, which would be like a more liberal church, and maybe some of you came up in these churches. And they would, say, they would, they would forsake the cross altogether and say, we're not going to be too judgmental about the Jesus stuff. We're not going to be critical about that. Just be a good person. Just, just, just try to abide by the golden rule. And that will, God will honor that and he will give you the good life. Both of them are adding to the gospel. Adding to Jesus' final words, it is finished. But how do we do that? How do you and I do that? Well, what was the problem in Galatia? They took what was going on in their culture and they took the, the gospel, which was true, and it's just really easy to start blending those things together, right? So when you look at other Christians or people who you think should be Christians, what are you looking for? Are you looking for social markers, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they talk? We should be bearing good fruit, right? But what makes you a Christian? What is, what is the one deciding factor that makes you a Christian? It's the grace of Christ on the cross. 
How critical do we get of each other, though? How often do we kind of nip at each other's heels or we talk behind each other's backs? Because, yeah, maybe God saved him with his grace, but geez, have you looked at what they're doing? We puff ourselves up and we look around. We're adding to the gospel. If you were a real Christian, if, if they were a real Christian, they would see it like I do. You're adding. You're adding to the gospel. And it's really easy to do that. But here's the good news. Here's the very, let me go back to the right one. Here's the very good news of the gospel. It's a good and a bad. The, as a church, as a preacher, preaching the word, I, I can tell you, spiritually, I am unimpressed with anybody that comes in here. <laughs> From a spiritual perspective, it doesn't matter how good a dad you are, how good a wife, husband, worker, sister, brother, whatever. Utterly unimpressive in regards to the gospel. Now, we, now, as a man, I might be very impressed. You might have a great resume. I might be, you might be very winsome and I'd be taken aback. This is a good type of person. This is the type of person we want in our church. In regards to the gospel, none of us are impressive. None of us. Because the gospel is about uh, saving us before works. But here's the good news. Not a single one of you could come in with the sin that's so bad and so dirty that I can say, oh, you could never be a part of this. That's the good news too. None of us are impressive and all of us are eligible for salvation. All of us. And if that's the case, if it doesn't matter the best among us and the worst among us, then it can't be by works. It has to just be this gracious thing that God has done for us. The grace of God allows you to follow Jesus. The grace of God allows you to be a Christian and to live the life that you're living. It's all by his grace. And the only way that, 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 we can, that, we, that we distort the gospel and get around that is when we start adding things to it. And when we basically take on the position of God saying, the things that I do are, are, are good things by my own judgment. And so I'm not going to listen to what God says about them. But by my own judgment, taking on the role of God, um, I haven't added to the gospel. I've only done what's right by me. We do it all the time. Lastly, to, just to close on this point, think about, Paul here is very angry. I want to ask you a question about your anger. The point of the passage is that he's, he's hot. <laughs> he's hot about this. They've, they've, they've abandoned the gospel, the grace of Jesus. He really cares about that. I want to ask you, what makes you really mad? When was the last time you, you uh, almost got up the nerve like, I'm going to write them. I'm going to do it. I'm going to post something online, right? Think, I want you to think about that. What is it that gets your emotions? What makes you really angry? What kinds of things are those? When I think about that for myself, I think primarily about circumstances. My circumstances always make me angry. Things are going well, and then something happens. And ugh, I had a plan. I was going down a certain path, and then a circumstance hits. You know what's really neat about Paul? Paul is almost immune to circumstances. When you read his letter to the Philippians, everything is going wrong. He is in jail. There's people outside of jail trying to stir up trouble for him, and he's going to die. And he just takes all of his circumstances one by one, and he's like, I'm in jail, but really the gospel is helped by that. Um, people are preaching Christ, but really this is great because even if they're trying to stir up trouble for me, they're still preaching Christ. And yes, I might die, but man, for me to live is Christ and to die is... Like, he's annoyingly, impossibly joyful. The circumstances don't seem to make him angry. What makes him furious? If you mess with the gospel. 
if you mess with the grace of Jesus. And I think there's an example right there for us. The things that we ought to get worked up about and maybe even rebuke each other about are, should be gospel things of the utmost importance. And this is a rebuke. We're not good at this anymore. We're polite Iowans. We're very kind to each other. And I think there's a lot of good in that. I, ha- I almost wanted to put on the gold card as one of your responses, go rebuke somebody in the church. I didn't think that would be very good. But, but here, let, let's, let's take a look at it while we're here. You have a category for this. You have a Christian just laying into somebody else. Why? Not because of circumstances, not necessarily even because of differences. He was very different from those Gentile believers he's writing to. It's because they tampered with the gospel. He loves the gospel so much, the grace of Jesus for everyone so much. If you touch it, he comes unglued. He starts bringing down curses. I want to challenge you with that. What makes you angry? Is it when, pe- when people affront the gospel, when, when, they, divert, when they change it? Or, or, or in those situations, is it just easier to smile and nod and say, oh, I don't think that's great, but okay. Here, Paul, as an example, outright rebukes him. What makes a Christian unpopular? Let's close with this. Paul ends the, this little section here by saying, For now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so at the end here, Paul is, Paul is teeing up what he's going to talk about for, for a lot of the future verses here, which is, I'm not after impressing any of you or any apostle. I received the gospel from Jesus, and I'm giving, I'm giving it to you verbatim. But he's illustrating a point here for us, which is this. If you believe in the gospel and love Jesus, there will be at least these two consequences. You will need to be bold, and you will sometimes be unpopular. Why is that? It's because the gospel is an affront to our world. We live in a meritocracy. We do this all the time. We judge, pe- we judge people based on how good they are at their job, how much money they have, how nice they are to us. We are doing this constantly. So a little bit of meritocracy works its way into our gospel. But if we believe in the true gospel, that it really is available for everybody and that it can change you, that Jesus can change you, the world doesn't want to hear that. Your coworker doesn't want to hear that she's lost. Neither does your neighbor. They don't want to hear it. Or, or they don't want to hear that that gospel would be available to anybody, even the people that they hate, the people in the other political party or the other economic bracket or whatever. This is offensive stuff. It was back in Galatia. It still is now. What does Paul say? I'm not seeking your approval. I don't care if you're mad at me. I don't care if you don't like the things that I'm saying. This is the gospel. This is the good news. His grace is for everybody. And he demonstrates that by how he carried himself. This is not a man who's running for homecoming king. He offended them. He's saying, you are new. If you believe in Jesus, you are a new creation. All the things you've done in your past, they don't count towards anything. All that counts is loving Christ and following him. That's the gospel. And he got stoned for his troubles. So that's how I want to close. I want to challenge you. There is a gospel of grace, New City. And it's so good that God devotes the whole Bible telling us the story of it and teaching us again and again. And it's so important that the Apostle Paul, as much as he has in any place in all of Scripture, comes unglued here when people add to it. 
It's easy to please others. It really is. It's easy to smile and be a people pleaser. But you know what that makes you? It makes you a slave to others. It means that your actions are dictated by what they think of you. And that changes all the time. Do you like me now? Is this the right thing to say now? Jesus says, uh, Paul says, I am Jesus' slave. I am a servant to Jesus. And Jesus wants me to give you the gospel truth, which is God is gracious to each and every one who believes. Easter is coming, as Nathan says. The world does not like it when we share this. It bucks up against their wisdom and their righteousness, but it's true and it's good and it has changed many of your lives and it can change many more of your lives. Easter is coming. Do not stand, do not stand for the gospel being unspoken in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. It's a harsh word to us. Uh, most of us are just uncomfortable with the rebuke. And yet, Lord, the issue is so key, so central. They were trying to distort your gospel. And God, I know that we do that too. We're always adding our preferences to the gospel or we're doing away with the cross altogether. It's just about what we're doing right now in our lives. Lord, might we never preach another gospel. Might we boldly share this good news that Jesus has offered grace to anybody who is repentant of their sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you turn to your gold cards, we end every service with the gold card. There's a couple ways you can respond to the sermon. Memorizing Galatians 2.20, that's a key verse. Um, if you'd like to start memorizing that. Um, here's the second way you can respond. Sharing the gospel or my testimony with someone this week. If you need to be rebuked, encouraged to be bold, check that box. We'll keep you accountable midweek. Share your story or just share the gospel with somebody. And then secondly, praying thanks to the Lord for salvation in Christ. Take a moment, fill these out, and we'll close together with a song. Staying with us, New City. If you're in a middle aisle, there's a basket underneath your chair. If you could pass it to the outside and put those gold cards in there. 
Let's sing this out. Behold him. He who was before there was a light walked across the pages of time. He who made every living thing behold him. He who heard humanity's cry left his throne to wake us of child. He became like the least of us. Behold him. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the roaring lion. Oh, be still and behold him. With sinners and saints, healed them blind, the 